This is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. edition of All Marine Radio, Martin Luther King Day, um, I would tell you, um, you, and you can find them here on um, All Marine Radio, but if you have not listened uh, to the speech, uh, to his I Have a Dream speech in its entirety, one of the greatest speeches in American history, I mean, he could give a speech. And if you if you haven't listened to the I've been to the mountaintop speech that he gives the night before he's murdered in Memphis, you should listen to that. So if you if you Google his last name in the search box of All Marine Radio King, um, you'll see more than one program where, where I played both those speeches. I would tell you listen to them. Yeah, they're absolutely. I mean, among all the things he could do, uh, he could speak in public. It's fantastic at it. And uh, the concepts, if you listen to a lot of his speeches, you see these reoccurring themes in them. And, uh, but yeah, on a day that we honor Dr. King, good morning to you. The, um, and I would encourage you at some point do that. They're, uh, they're fantastic. I'm, I'm sure you can watch them on YouTube and things like that. But watch the whole speech, not just a little snippet of it. And neither one of them is very long. I think they're both less than 30 minutes. The um, lot of news going on. Grant Newsom is going to join me here in a minute. Um, and so um, big weekend. In the NFL, my 49ers tried to give a, a win away and were unsuccessful and actually defeated the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. Dallas Cowboys did everything they could do to give the game away, too. It was not very well played at important moments. Yeah, which is not good. And, uh, you know, my dad was in sports. And he said, uh, he used to say, one, it takes no talent to hustle. 
all you have to want to do is to do it, right? So to run out of ground ball, right? To uh, to back people up, to do the things you're supposed to do. It takes no talent to do that. Two, mental mistakes are unacceptable. Keeping your head in the game while you're playing the game, that's what you're supposed to do when you're out there, especially when you're a professional. Mental mistakes are not acceptable. Physical ones happen. People miss balls. People drop passes. Right, all of that. So the 49ers are on the verge of winning this game yesterday. And uh, for those of you that are football fans, they imbalance their line. They take the left tackle the best left tackle in football, and they move him over to the right side. Okay, now that guy never goes in motion. So as a quarterback, what's your job? Before I do anything, I got to make sure he's set, right? Because if he's not set, it's a, it's a penalty. That's, a, that's the one thing you have to do in this play, okay? They had to get like two inches on the play. So what do you think? The 49ers quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, who's not very good under pressure, does. He doesn't do his job. He doesn't know what's important in the moment. The moment overtakes him. The left tackle, you know, moves to the right side of the line all the way to the end. And before he can get set, Garoppolo has the ball snapped. They get the two inches. They get about a yard so that, and the game's over, except penalty flag. Now they go back five yards and they have to punt. Now the, the game's in doubt. So anyway, 49ers won yesterday, but not very impressively, I might add. Um, but again, a win is a win. And so they'll go up to Green Bay where I'm pretty sure their season will end unless unless the Packers give it away. But they don't tend to do that. Aaron Rodgers is pretty good. So next week will be the last weekend of professional football. For me, anyway, my team. Um, other news. Um, I don't know if you saw the video, but a volcano erupted. Now it has erupted a second time in the area of Tonga. Now you're waiting for news coming out of Tonga about you know what happened the tsunami that was created has been felt uh, in japan and here on the west coast not you know five miles from where i live um colleen flew to dallas with a friend so she sent me a text over the weekend she goes i read about the tsunami i said yeah and you know the impact that has in southern california everybody grabs their surfboard and heads to the beach right because now we're going to get big surf. And she's like, what? I said, exactly. Yeah, it's not what you think. It's not like it, people are nervous. So anyway, um, but you're going to hear Grant talk about national power. And I, I kind of begin a conversation with him about the elements of national power. Um, there, It's called DIME, Diplomacy, Information, Military and economic. That, that's the acronym for the elements of national power. So anyway, 
um, we have a conversation about that. One of the things that Grant says is the United States has not been very good in the Pacific. And so this would be an opportunity for American, the American military to get to Tonga in a big way and to help the people of Tonga and once again show the people of the Pacific that there's one nation that they ought to really you know, look to be friends with. And the other thing is for the United States is, hey, you've got to stick your hand out to these people because if you don't, the Chinese will. So anyway, um, that is in the news. If you haven't seen the video of, of the first eruption, I mean, you're looking at like a satellite weather piece of video of the of the entire Pacific Ocean, and all of a sudden you see this massive thing go. Pfft. Honestly, it's amazing to watch it like that. So, um, so that that is uh, so that is in the news. But uh, but again, uh, Grant Newsom will join me. So. I haven't done this in a week, so I figured I would do it. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. Good morning. This is dedicated to the American military in the hopes that uh, the American military can uh, put on its uh, happy face and uh, go down to Tonga in what will certainly be a humanitarian situation where they need help and can demonstrate to the people of the, of the Pacific that uh, keep an open mind when it comes to the Chinese. There's people that will come with less of an agenda. And to the American diplomats watching this, this is a good, um, this would be a good opportunity to show the people of the Pacific the things that the United States does on a regular basis. And uh, don't fuck it up. <laughs> Yeah. 
you're betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. I just saw General Neller last week at Christovich's uh, retirement ceremony. Yeah, he looks good. So he and his wife Darcy, who I've known since nineteen ninety two. Yep. So, uh, no, it's awesome. Awesome. Uh, check the weather real, real quick. Uh, currently partly sunny and 39 in Quantico. It is partly sunny and 45 at Cherry Point. In 29 Palms, it is sunny and 45, so cold out in the desert. Pendleton, cloudy and 54. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark, clear and 65. Okinawa, dark, cloudy, 58. Manila, dark cloudy, 75. And in Darwin, dark cloudy in 78. Currently at the home of Almerin Radio, cloudy. It was raining and 59. Looking for uh, rain today in a high of 63, 64, and partly cloudy skies on Tuesday. Wednesday, mostly sunny and 63. Thursday, Sunny in 71 and Friday, sunny in 69. So, going to be a little bit warmer here on the West Coast. The, um, I will check the weather. So, the first part of the show when I do it like this, um, I'll endeavor to get it done in about 20 minutes. So, let me just check some headlines real quick. Top story in uh, Stars and Stripes is celebrated Tuskegee Airmen. Charles McGee dies at the age of 102. Uh, the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, amazing piece of American history, military history. Uh, they flew 409 fighter missions in three wars and later helped bring attention to black pilots as they battled racism, not only here at home, but in the military as well. So anyway, uh, Charles McGee died uh, over the weekend at the age of 102. Russia denies looking for a pretext to invade Ukraine, which is a lie, right? Um, and then military flights are assessing uh, what's going on and what it looks like in Tonga right now. So uh, that is... Uh, that's in uh, Stars and Stripes. Top, top headline in the Wall Street Journal is 
kind of a business story. Um, I think it's top story that you would be interested in is, through, well, there's three headlines. Putin wants NATO to back off, but is achieving the opposite, says the head of NATO. Next next headline, CDC director aims to improve COVID-19 messaging, comma, data collection. CDC's got a problem. They're now having to actually admit that, yeah, we're going to have to live with this. We can't lock the world down every time this happens. Oh, no kidding. Hmm. And then the third headline that's interesting is China seeks to cushion the blow of the economic pain as its own economic momentum slows. So that in the news, that in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times top story is analysis. CDC grapples with rapidly evolving virus and imperfect data. Top story in the Washington Post is some people just don't like us. And that is a quote from the Texas synagogue after 11 hours of terror where all the hostages left and a British citizen of Pakistani descent was killed. I'm not exactly sure if he was killed by the FBI or if it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. I have not seen that reporting. So that in the, in the news. Top story in USNI news is... The U.S. Coast Guard is in a prolific shipbuilding period. Thank God. The world needs a Coast Guard. Right? Another headline, carrier USS Carl Vinson and the Essex Amphibious Ready Group, ARG, ARG, um, are in the South China Sea right now. So, things you need to know. Top story in Marine Corps Times is... Two Marines have received religious exempt exemptions from the COVID-19 vaccine. Top five stories in Early Bird, and then you will hear the one and only Grant Newsham as we talk about national power and something I re we recorded last night. Uh, the U.S. warns Russia about sounding drumbeats of war against Ukraine as the crisis talks end with no breakthrough. So I guess the big surprise um, is that the United States somehow did not capitulate to Vladimir Putin. Interesting. Uh, next story from the Associated Press. Multiple rockets target the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. And again, if you haven't noticed, the Iranian-sponsored Iranian shitheads uh, sent armed drones about, what, two months ago? No American response. And then just recently... There were other drones that were shot down in Iraq heading for uh, American military personnel. Now more rockets. At some point, the Biden administration, if you don't hit back, somebody's going to get dead and it's going to be Americans or people working for us. Um, next story. Suicide attempts, delayed pay, prompt calls for a probe into the Texas Guard's mission. Um, next story, woman who quit Air Force commando course questioned highly suspicious lower standards. Quote, interesting quote from the article. 
the change in standards invalidated me with the majority of my team, the female special tactics officer candidate wrote in April of 2021. And that is the problem. Again, um, we talk about this uh, on the podcast, but, you know, there's this narrative in the American military that everybody can do everything, right? That men and women are, we all can do the same thing. Well, that's not true. There's no women playing in the NFL. They're not even kickers. There's no women playing in in men's soccer. Now, those soccer affectionados bristle when I say this, but it's the least combative of all the sports. But they don't play in that. There's women's league and men's league. But in combat, we're all the same. This is stupid. But nobody. But you can't stand up and say that. You'll get thrown out. Yeah. God forbid somebody should stand up and, and sp- actually speak truth to power. Not just say they will in a in a in testimony, but actually speak it. Next story is military deployments alone won't be enough to fight COVID surge, Biden says. So about a thousand military medical specialists will deploy to hard hit hospitals in the coming weeks to ease pressure on healthcare staff. You think? That's called a firm grasp of the obvious. All right. I'm trying to keep this 20 minutes. With that said, joining me now, Grant Newsham. Joining me, as he tends to do, is Grant Newsham. And Grant, right out of the um, right out of the shoot, I have a serious question for you. And um, when you look at the American military, um, and the American military, I would tell you, is essentially in a, in a rebuilding phase of its existence. Uh, the Marine Corps is transitioning into, from being a force that operates across the range of military operations to a uh, force that exists um, inside the weapon engagement zone, the WES, right? Uh, it's a stand-in force, quote-unquote, and um, it does not operate across the range of military operations anymore. The United States Navy, I would say, um, since I um, was around it starting in 1984, I would say it's in the worst shape I've ever seen it. Um, and so... If I'm the Chinese, I'm, I'm looking at this, the Taiwan situation and the strategic situation and say, you know, I probably got a few years uh, before the Americans, if they do, but if they follow through until they truly have squared up to us. As an American policymaker, you look at the same situation. And you make a very similar assessment. We are transitioning. We are not in the strongest position. Uh, China, you know, continues to outbuild us, um, and um, and is ascending. So, all right, boys and girls, what else can we do in the region to have a strategic impact here? And you know, my dopey asked. They went to a Catholic university, puts my hand up, and I said, I, I say we play our economic card. And then Mr. Blinken looks at me, 
And he says, have you downloaded my playlist yet? And I say, I didn't know you had one. Although I did hear this podcast, this guy Newsham was talking about your playlist. I thought he was joking, but you actually have one? Well, of course I have a playlist that I think you should download. Well, I'll do that, sir. Uh, what do you think of my idea? I think that's a good idea. What's your name? McNamara, sir. Michael. You can call me Mac. That's what my friends call me. But I think that, you know, we need to extend our hand economically and pull these countries into our sphere. And we need to make sweetheart deals with them. And I would say anybody across the Western Pacific who wants to hop into that, I would allow that. And I, and I think that's a pretty powerful tool. And I would work with the Brits, the French, the Germans, and to create this because we have four times the GDP of China. I'm not sure if you know that, sir. We do? Where do you read that? Oh, I do like math and statistics sometimes. I think numbers are important. Hmm, that's a good idea. So, Grant, um, given... And I don't think that's not a... Do, would you quarrel with my assessment of where the United States is in this transitional phase? No, really not. Um, you know, it's... One thing to keep in mind it was is that, you know, a, a military like the Chinese or any military really only has to be good enough to do a certain thing at a certain place at a certain time. And, you know, always go back to the Argentinians just about beating the British in the, the Falklands, although they were, the Argentinians were completely outclassed. Right. The Ch Chinese are very different. And you look at that military buildup that they have pulled off in the last 20 years, and it's referred to as the biggest, fastest military buildup in the post-war era, I would say, uh, in history, actually. And... The, the ship numbers they already have, the, the types of ships, the quality of them, their ability to operate them, uh, their anti-ship missiles that are essential for combat at sea, uh, their air force gets better and better, their things they're doing in outer space, uh, cyber, undersea warfare, just go down the list. They have, uh, in some areas, they have surpassed us. And yet then you'd say, well, that's okay, we're the Americans. We've always been the big dog, and we're the Americans. You know? And then you look at, you sort of take stock of what we have. Um, we have a Navy that you know, is outnumbered 10 to 1 in the South China Sea, and we don't have that much. If there's a qualitative advantage that sort of makes the numbers irrelevant, I, I think that is wishful thinking. Um, you have uh, the Marine Corps that's sort of trying to figure out what it, wants to be and it's sort of setting itself up to fight a, a certain kind of war in a certain kind of place against a very cooperative enemy who does what we want them to do um, the, the the air force you know just go say go down the list and it's it's troubling you know it, it's you, we haven't uh, you know one thing you know one way to look at it okay is if you just until a few years ago Nobody was thinking about fighting the, the Chinese, except very few people in each service. And those were considered the weirdos, the cranks to be forced, you know, to really to be marginalized or, uh, you know, forced out. And think of that, you know, while China is you know, building up for really the last 30 years to develop a military that could defeat the United States until a few years ago, you could not even say that China was an enemy. 
and very few people were actually thinking about doing this. Instead, it was all focused on the sandbox, plus the idea being, well, China, one could never be our equals because, you know, they're Chinese and we're the Americans. And so here we are. I'm not sure that we're set up to take on the Chinese um, as well as we should be. You know, we could still hurt them pretty badly uh, in a fight, but it, a lot of time, but it depends on the nature of the fight. Um, but I don't see that we've got that sense of urgency uh, to put our sort of our force together to to actually win the next war. Uh, it's sometimes it does take some time, and you know we've gotten around to this much much too late. Uh, you know, so here we are. So I don't really disagree. You know, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, you know, I think in these you know, you, you know there's things that don't give you much hope or much confidence. You know, you look at the the confirmation hearings of the, say, the, the new chief of naval operations. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, rooting out extremists in the military, you know, and these, these so, social justice, what you call social engineering issues, rather than getting up there and saying, look, we got a problem here. We're going to lose to the Chinese if we don't do certain things. Instead, he's, you know, he's uh, saying what you need to say to get, um, to get um, the job. And there's really, he, he doesn't bring Nimitz or Halsey or Spruance to mind. None of these guys do. And so that's a, a concern that I've got, is I just don't see that we're setting up to fight a war or see or that there's any realization that we've gotten behind. Uh, you know, there's still not even a, um, a sort of a scheme for increasing the size of the, the Navy, which is one thing you have to do. Um, you know, the idea, I suppose, is, well, we have all these wonder weapons coming that, you know, will make ships numbers irrelevant. But uh, I wouldn't count on that. You know, you, so I'm okay, yeah, not so, all that optimistic. All right. So war is politics by their means, right? Somebody famous said that. And so um, the, the weapons of national power. The American, the American economy is one of the huge weapons in that equation, as is the Chinese economy. And the Chinese have weaponized their economy. And so, I, again, I, I am absolutely dumbstruck that we, we, over the course of the Trump administration, um, the Obama administration never got the Trans-Pacific Partnership done. And now we're over a year into the Biden administration, and you don't hear you don't hear a peep about it, nothing. And so, to me, I mean, if 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 you do that assessment, and I and I think that assessment is 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 on the mark, you know, that is that is where this thing is. And and I'm just absolutely dumbstruck by the fact that there is not an American grand overture with our allies to subvert China's attempts to, um, to woo nations into their sphere. And, and again, the G7 has four times, I don't even think it's a G7, you know, but G7's got over four times the GDP of China. Why don't we use that? Why don't we weaponize that? Especially by the, again, you and I've talked, right? If, if you can get closer to the Philippines that just bought a bunch of helicopters from Blackhawks from the United States, um, but it, which I, which is a good sign. But if you can get closer to them, and you can be in the Philippines, it completely changes the calculus of the region. 
Yet we don't seem, again, Grant, I mean, it's just, you've been around this part of the world for so long. Do, do you have any explanation why there is not an American, a G7 overture to the region so that instead of making it in China, you make it in Vietnam or the Philippines? Do you have an explanation why we don't do that? And I'm just too stupid to figure it the fuck out? Um, yeah. No, you. No, I couldn't resist that. <laughs> but, uh, no, you know, I want, you wonder because you know, there's these are things that like we can figure out. Then, you know, for example, you know, why don't, isn't there an economic Article Five, which is refers to the Article Five in, say, the, the NATO treaty and also the U.S.-Japan treaty and other treaties, which says that you know an attack on one is an attack on all, and that we'll we'll step in. And when, you know, an economic attack happens, like China is doing, um, then you should have the Americans, the Europeans, the Japanese, all come together immediately and say to the, the victim of the Chinese attack, say the Australians, the South Koreans, the Filipinos, that, you know, we're here for you. And not just here for you, here's what we're going to do. And we're going to give you these trade benefits. We've got a line of credit for you. You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to these uh, the industries that, that um, have been hurt. You know, we're going to take care of it, and if necessary, we're going to buy their entire output and you know, let the Chinese, you know, cut off their nose to spite their face. Uh, and that is so obvious that you know you help your friends when they're in trouble, and it's not just shouldn't be a military attack only, but an economic attack, and that's something you should have. Another one is the idea of a free trade agreement. And when countries can sign free trade agreements, say with the Americans in particular, it, it's really good for them because it, it makes it easier for them to sell into the United States. And I'd say all free trade agreements are done for political reasons, not for economic reasons, because it shows a sort of a commitment to a country a, and a respect to friendliness towards them uh, that you know, makes them think they've got the, the biggest, you know, the the most respected country in the world, the biggest country, is their friend. And this, for example, with um, Taiwan, Taiwan has wanted one for a long time. And the Americans have never gotten around to it. You know, they've had excuses, like the Taiwanese farmers won't allow American pork to be sold in Taiwan. Therefore, we're not going to do anything for Taiwan. Um, you know, think of it, you know, a free trade agreement with Taiwan would be immensely important politically. Uh, every country in the region would notice it, the Chinese would notice it. Uh, and also, it would have really bolstered Taiwanese confidence. And confidence is, is lagging in Taiwan and has been for a long time. And this is something that should have been priority number one for the last three administrations, at least. Even the Trump administration couldn't get it done, and they didn't even try. Um, towards the end of the administration, it was, you know, I read somewhere that it was the, the USTR, the U.S. Trade Representative, uh, that would, they would be the ones who would negotiate this. They didn't even make any effort because they didn't have, quote, the bandwidth. They were too busy trying to make a deal with the Chinese. And so they ignored the most important country from our perspective in Asia, 
because they were trying to cut some sort of a deal with the communist Chinese who were never going to live up to any deal you could have cut with them. And but they were say that didn't have the bandwidth. I mean, how lazy can you be? You know, if you're you've got a government job for crying out loud, you know, maybe stay till seven instead of uh, leaving at 430 and do the extra work. Uh, you know, th this is something that is it just boggles the mind that we have done things that, you know, like that. And so your point about the economic angle to this is right on the money, the financial angle, too. And you know, if we don't get our own financial house in order, um, then we're not going to be able to finance any sort of a military buildup as necessary to take on China. And this needs to be done uh, very quickly. And I think, as we've mentioned before, that the, the biggest sort of club or tool that America still has to wield against China is it's not the U.S. military. It's actually the U.S. dollar. And if the U.S. dollar ever loses its, its uh, position of dominance, we are in trouble. Uh, sort of worse than, uh, well, almost as bad as a military defeat. But uh, that's the it's that economic financial part of it. So um, that's you know, how I see it. And I think you're right on the money there. We've, uh, but you find the, you know, if there's an overall strategy now, and I don't see it, but the Trump administration did put together a good national security strategy. And they were aware of this. But within the Trump administration, keep in mind that the, I'd say the guys who, the sensible guys were always in this fierce struggle with Wall Street. Wall Street's representatives in the administration, particularly represented by the Treasury Department. Uh, and they so they had this internal sort of struggle going on while they're trying to um, sort of strengthen America's position in the, the world and the region as well. Uh, so if you're, you know, you've got it. So there's something you know, that I, even I can figure out. Um, and this is one of them. And so, you know, here we are. Yeah, and again, if, if I say, okay, look, Taiwan might be too hard, okay? And so, you know, all the State Department guys are wringing their hand, but we're sitting here, state sitting in here, the DOD sitting in here, National Security Advisor sitting in here, right? Treasury sitting in, in there. And, you know, we have the head of the SASC and the HASC. And all, so all the, big, all the big timers relative to American foreign policy are sitting there. And we're and we're we're doing assessments, okay? Are, are we assessing this correctly? You know, Secretary Austin, General Milley, um, is that a fair assessment of where you are militarily? I think it is. I think it is. You know, I I don't want to overpromise, but you know, we're pivoting to the Pacific. That's not an easy thing to do. We're we're divesting of legacy equipment. Wah, 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 wah. But there is going to be a flash to bang period. Uh, as we see this flash before the bang hits, it's going to be maybe a decade. And so, you know, okay, so uh, look, if, if, if we try to cut a, a deal with Taiwan, I mean, that will inflame the Chinese. Okay, look, okay, look, let's take Taiwan off the table. What about the Philippines? What about, what about uh, Vietnam? And who else in the region, right? Any one of the Micronesia uh, islands. I mean, shit. I mean, what does it take this to, to prop them up? Not too much. Um, give them access to what? I don't know, but I mean, good God. And what, what, what would be 
another key nation, if, if you put a, a, a list together of five, who would you target on that list? Oh, I would help the South Koreans uh, as well, the, the Thais, um, the, the Malaysians. Just go down the list, just about anyone you can name. Well, not everyone, but those, they would appreciate it. India, there's a deal to be cut with them. Uh, and as you correctly pointed out, those Central Pacific nations, the South Pacific nations, uh, the, the amounts of money required for them, uh, that's like 10 minutes of Medicare fraud or maybe a fraction of what we were paying Afghan drug lords. Uh, it's just nothing, and we refuse to do it. And so this is, uh, there's room to excel, uh, as you say. But one of the things that you would hear— so, so even if we even if you say, okay, the, the, the low ripe hanging fruit is all these other countries— and, you know, that's just going to be American business, right? It's going to be good for American business. But really what we're looking to do is change, change our, is to change the dynamics because what we want to do is, is, is this is the sequence, greater diplomatic, greater economic exchanges that will slowly but surely open the door for our military to, to go into those nations. And and that will change the calculus in the region. And that is the stopgap until our military can catch up, which we fully expect it to do. Secretary Austin, here, 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 sir. Here, here. I, again, I just, um, I don't know. It just, is there, it, so if you were a betting man, why would you say we're not doing this? Because if, obviously if it, it was that apparent, they would be doing it, yes? Or, <laughs> I hate when you laugh at me. Well, it's a nervous laugh. It's not. It was. I, I know nervous you know, laughs. That I, was a nervous. No, you go, I'm laughing, you I'm go, laughing with you. No, laughing I, was, with, I, was la- I wasn't laughing. I was talking when you guffawed me. <laughs> I'm laughing at, I would call it the uh, our foreign policy class. I mean, my goodness. Uh, they. This isn't what they do. You know what you've described is—it's called political warfare. Is it? Isn't that? Isn't that real politic? Isn't that the essence of, of of the concept of real politic? These elements of national power used in a real way, in a clear-eyed way, to get leverage at a some point in the world. Oh, it's yeah. You're trying to get influence. You're trying to get people to do things you want them to do. And you know, keep in mind, we are the United States of America. You know, we're not a totalitarian dictatorship, uh, but the, it is it requires something that America just doesn't do. It hasn't done it since the Cold War, uh, but it's it is political warfare using the economic, the commercial, the military, the propaganda in the original good meaning of the word, which uh, when the Jesuits coined it uh, was just to explain yourself um, to and. We don't do any of those things. And the, there's a fellow named um, Kerry Gershanek, who's a retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel who's done a number of things after that. And he just recently uh, wrote a book published by uh, Marine Corps University, uh, actually, and it's about Chinese political warfare. And in it, in his introduction or the earlier parts, he describes the state of American political warfare capabilities and it's just, it is a horrifying thing that he describes in his experience dealing with embassies and State Department and foreign service people. Uh, but it's a good book if you look up uh, Gershanek, G-E-R-S-H-A-N-E-C-K. Do you know him? Uh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Would and, you uh, Would you introduce me to me and, and and I'll have him on someday? Can you get me tickets to uh, <laughs> to, the, <laughs> to the 49er Packer game? Sure, no problem. Where do you want to sit? Okay, well, yeah, that'll be fine. But, hey, and no, when you show up, I'll, if they're not there, just wait. They'll come. Okay, no, I'll be I'll be glad to even without tickets. Yeah, he's a, he he knows his stuff, and it's uh, say so he it's a good book, uh, but so he gets across just the the woeful state of American capabilities here. The Chinese do it very, very well. And until we figure out, you know, how to do political warfare and not regard it as a dirty word, uh, that we're going to get backfooted, you know, one time, one after another. And also it requires a certain skill, set of skills, which say our foreign policy class generally doesn't have. Um, and, you know, that's just, well, then it doesn't mean they can't learn it. Uh, most of these are intelligent people. But we have to remember what we did during the Cold War to the Russians. And we used to do political warfare pretty well. But we've lost that. And that's what's killing us. And what you have described is political warfare. Uh, and if you don't look at all of this together and have somebody somewhere, you know, who's sort of directing the whole orchestra, uh, that you're going to do these stovepiped sort of activities, and everyone, of course, you know, gives themselves you know, end of tour awards, right, 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 exceptional right. performance awards, and yet go out through the map of the of the Pacific of Asia and the I call it the pro-Chinese constituencies in just about every country, every island is getting bigger and bigger, and so we've got to to wake up here. Um, and let, say, let me so. Yeah. You know, so at that point, you know, Secretary Blinken would look at me and he would say, Max, so you have, do you have any other good ideas? And I would say, no, sir, I'd just like to finish with this. You know, if you've watched our military efforts, without, yeah, and, and you, this is the preparatory command to, I'm about to say something very disrespectful, with all due respect to the chairman and the secretary here, um, we're not very good at military things. The outcomes when we've gone to war are normally not good for the nation. So I think this type of, dare I say, influence operation using our economy is something we can do without any carnage and is something that we could actually be good at. And uh, and I think it saves the Department of Defense, you know, for that kind of you know, big sledgehammer that we want to use it for, you know? And I think my own reading is that's when it's most powerful, when it's a threat. Because when we actually go do stuff, again, with all due respect, gentlemen, we kind of fucking suck, sir. Hey, Mac, please don't use profanities. Sorry, sir. We kind of suck. And then, you know, what would you say to that? It's all, And it's all true. And it's all as plain as the nose on your face. And yet, I, I, again, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the day when all of a sudden this American Trans-Pacific Partnership, and, and Joe Biden is a Barack Obama disciple. So are we just too busy at the State Department, right, giving Ukraine and away and fucking up Afghanistan, and we just have too much on our plates? And we, as you said, we just don't have the bandwidth to, to, to work on this right now? I, uh, I, 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 again, I, I just don't understand. And I was hoping that you could give me a, a, a rational explanation of why we, we aren't 
operating in this realm because we need to be. Oh, you know, I see, I have no idea, uh, but I do recognize it as. Wait, Grant, you're a uh, fucking Mr. expert, man. You're not. You're never supposed to say that. Well, people are. Um, you have incompetence, laziness. Uh, you may have people who understand it, but you have people who don't do stuff. You know, it's as if nobody's in charge. Uh, there's a, you know, try to get one of these initiatives going, and you know, you'll find obstacles and initiative all or inertia. You know, that's all put out by people, uh, and you know, I really can't explain it. You know, there's probably some ancient Greek comedy that you know has seen all of this before. Uh, you know, it's said, for example, of the, this is not American, of the Indian Defense Ministry, that it could probably, you know, cause the earth to stop turning on its axis. Uh, and I think we sometimes have that ability to, to do things, as, to do those things as well. But every once in a while, you get somebody who actually does have a, a vision, a sense of things, and what needs done, and actually does stuff. And that's where the, the Trump administration did have some of those people. And you look at the I've seen a list, actually, of the things they did just within a given time frame and towards China. And they really did stuff. But it's, you know, doing stuff is, you know, I've discovered in, uh, certainly in government service, isn't exactly something that makes you popular or that is welcome. Uh, tends to provoke a sort of a opposition or because somebody might, you know, feel like you've made them look bad. And even in the private sector, you have to, when you're doing stuff, you'd better tread carefully uh, because it's going to make somebody angry. And uh, so here, you know, you, you know, I've noticed, you know, recently, you know, when I've talked to some government people, say, about some events in the, the Pacific, uh, that they seem to have no idea what to do. You know, they kind of understand the, the problems, but in terms of, like, what to do, you know, it's, they, you know, they don't have any ideas in fact they say what should we do but it's um so i'm just just an observation uh but you know we, so i really i don't have a good answer for it but it is uh one other aspect thing that doesn't get uh, that you have to always have to remember is on capitol hill and i've heard this from a guy who was in, involved in the wto uh, negotiations um, back in the, the late 90s, 2000s. And, you know, when China was allowed into WTO, you know, most of the politicians knew it was dangerous, knew it was not a good thing. But it was, as I've been told, it was the donor class run, won out. And those are people who contribute to politicians for their campaigns. And they have immense influence. And that is still the case today. And... You know, so we you know think about things and logic and what makes sense and what ought to get done, but always keep in mind there is this donor class that, um, you know, that'll get that can influence a lot of politicians to do things the politicians you know, know are not in the national interest but are in the donor's interest. So it's just part of the equation. Um, you know, but so you know, I don't, I'm trying to think of some optimistic uh, thing to say that makes it sound less. Uh, bad, but I, I don't know quite what I would say on this. Well, it, and again, it just seems to be when you look at the elements of national power, right? The sledgehammer that you keep behind your back, you know, Teddy Roosevelt's walk softly and carry a big stick, right? You're go, you're around the world, you're doing economic things, you're creating 
uh, relationships with people in order to have influence over them. And we just we just seem to be not interested in it for the life of me in in an area where we are strategically vulnerable. Um, I, I mean, it just it it should be one of the elements of national power. And I was hope you could maybe explain it to me. And uh, and again, sp- particularly why the military pivots to the Pacific, why we um, why we do that. So anyway, all right. Uh, Go ahead. Well, one other aspect is that I've noticed when talking to government people is they all say, well, we got to get, you know, American business into these, say, these countries in the region. You know, American business is in a lot of countries around the edges, but they're particularly talking about the Pacific Islands. We got to get them in there. And they, but American business goes where it thinks it can make money. And, or, you know, or, some get something out of it. And they, the government types often don't seem to understand that connection. That, and I have, my experience has been there's just very, very few, uh, say, State Department or even uh, Department of Commerce officials who really have that ability to wield or sort of move U.S. Uh, business and corporate interests uh, for this political benefit. And they say it's very few, and maybe I could fit the names on fingers of one hand. Uh, and so the average, say, foreign service officer, say, even if he's an economic specialist, he doesn't know anything about commerce, really, or how businesses operate. Uh, and you know, I would say, in fact, that probably a hot dog vendor on, you know, 14th and K in D.C. probably knows more about actual economics and business than your typical a foreign service economic uh, specialist, um, probably because the hot dog vendor was once the minister of finance in Afghanistan or <laughs> somewhere. But they, you know, they understand to say commerce, and we don't have a whole lot of people who do. And the, the ones we have, it's goodness, it's you know, they're so rare that they're, and I've they've done some very good work that I, I know of, but there's just there there's not enough of them. Somehow we have to address that. And going back to political warfare, there's no reason why we can't master that. Uh, none at all. But it requires you know, somebody in these, somewhere, these organizations, State Department, DOD, wherever, um, National Security Council, to say, look, you know, we're, getting, we're failing. We're going to lose this uh, conflict with China unless we get this right. Let's uh, start learning it. Let's teach it again. And... That's so. That's where, um, you know, I would would start if, you know, if someone asked me for something specific to do. And going back to uh, Kerry Gershanik's book, uh, it's it's an eye opener um, when you when you hear him explain it. And if you read the book, it's even more of an eye opener. All right. Um, I want to I want to talk about uh, uh, Ukraine versus Russia. Any um, there was an initial round of talks. Um, it seemed like the United States didn't give very much away, didn't tell Vladimir Putin evidently what he wanted to hear. Um, your thoughts on what you've seen so far? Are you surprised that we, you know, we haven't tripped over ourselves trying to give him something? Um, or is the jury still, I mean, obviously the jury's still out, but... Um, uh, what have you thought as you continue to watch this thing evolve? 
Well, I think we've still got time um, to, uh, I think, to have the to, floor to up with to, us. To screw yeah. it up. I, I think we do. They, it's, it's inter- darn interesting because you, you see the Russians really upping the ante and, you know, threatening you know, to put basically nuclear weapons in Cuba and things like this, uh, kind of. And no, that's what he did, right? He yeah, said, well, uh-huh. I won't, what, it was Cuba I mean, and was it Nicaragua? Or maybe or Venezuela or something. Venezuela. But, but they're really say, upping the ante. And, you know, there's talk of, you know, the Americans sounded the alarm of uh, Russian um, agents set, you know, con- uh, doing some sort of a provocation in, the, in Ukraine uh, to have an excuse to attack. Uh, and... You know, and that the Russians, you know, saying, you know, we're not going to wait much longer. And it, this is, in one sense, is very interesting to, to see you know, how the U.S. government is going to respond. And they, uh, they, they must be worried, I should think. But uh, I don't know how it's going to play out. I think the, the Russians, I still, like I said the last time, I now think it's more likely than not the Russians are going to make a move unless we offer them something. And if we offer them something... We've lost uh, the and sometimes, you know, when you think of what the, the Russian position is that, that I don't think they quite know like when they started. I don't know that they really knew how that was going, how that was going to end. But, you know, sometimes when you say you make an idle threat and then the other side does something that you get angry a bit and you're idle, you make the threat again. And it's a little less idle this time. And then eventually you, know, you 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 come to say you know I'm really angry now and end I'm going to do something but it's the way the psychology changes uh, over time which is very interesting and I wonder if the the Russians have talked themselves into a fight uh, and you know we will see but um, uh, you know I don't know and the Americans having taken off, taken the possibility of U.S. military intervention off the table from the very beginning, um, was not a good move. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. This is—I don't know if coming to the head is the right thing because it's been at the head for a, a while. while now. Yeah. Um, but this, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say they're probably going to do something um, if you know, they don't get what they want and. You know, they, a friend of mine was talking to a Russian guy just the other, you know, for whatever that's worth. And it, but it reflected the, the way humans think. And you know, the guy's take on the on Ukraine was, well, it used to be part of Russia, so we want it and we're going to take it. What's wrong with that? And, you know, we think, well, come on, you know, that's not right. But that's, um, you know, I wonder if the Russians, as I said, haven't talked themselves uh, into a fight. Interesting. Interesting. And the other interesting thing um, is, does the Ukraine, does Ukraine go quietly? I mean, they're pretty well armed, but there, it won't be much of a contest. Uh, what happens in the aftermath? Does it become Afghanistan? Um, did the Ukrainians go peacefully back into the Soviet, the Russian orbit? Um, it'd be an interesting question for the world to watch. And uh, so, so obviously, uh, unfolding on a weekly basis. You wrote a piece that I'm staring at right there, and uh, the headline. I know you don't write the headline. Uh, U.S. needs to fix weaknesses in its Indo-Pacific strategy to counter China. Did you recommend that headline? 
No. I, um, in fact, I didn't even have to think of a headline because it, it was a long interview. Um, and so somebody else did. Um, I would have probably used the words rascals and scoundrels more than, than they, whoever wrote the headline did. But um, no, but I think they got it about right. Um, All right. Had, so, and this, this appears, this interview was for the, uh, the Sunday Guardian of India. So the Sunday edition uh-huh. of The Guardian, I mean, which is uh-huh. a huge uh, uh, publication that uh, what, rolls around the, the British Empire. Yes. Oh, rolls around India, but it's actually influential in India. There's it's got a circulation of over a million, as I understand it, and it it um, puts out a hard copy, like a regular newspaper. Oh, nobody I, nobody I, does that anymore. I, I thought no, I've got a PDF of it somewhere, and there's um, my pictures on page one. Oh. So this is going to get me like three or four more Twitter followers. You know, you know, Grant, you're uh, you're running in uh, with the big dogs. You got men's, you know, you mentioned as an expert in the Wall Street Journal, and now you know, spanning the globe. It's like wide world of sports, Grant Newsham. Mm-hmm. I, Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah, All right, so let me good. let me read the sub. The sub headline is this: "Quote: The Chinese are setting up." behind U.S. first island chain defenses and make it harder for the Marines to operate. It's never good to have the enemy set up in your rear. Eventually, one of the Pacific islands will welcome the Chinese military to set up shop. So that is the subheadline and I believe a quote from you. Um, talk to us about the interview. What is the, is that the, is that the thrust of the interview? Is that the the uh, Chinese are now attempting, with their with their political power, to negate whatever the, the Americans think they'll do inside and near the first island chain. We, oui? yeah, mm-hmm. but the, yeah, I had a ch- the uh, the choice of really talk about whatever I wanted to talk about, and so what I talked about was the you know I started with the commandant's plan, which as you know calls for fighting the Chinese by, amongst other things, putting small marine detachments on islands in the Pacific. And I explain the the idea behind that. And and then I I point out, you know, there is this uh, small problem of where you're actually going to put these detachments because nobody has welcomed them in. And you would think that before you put a plan together like this that calls for deploying in this way that you have some idea where the troops are going to go. And you know, you, you there's you think there'd be a punchline to all of this, but there really isn't. And that's what I point out, is that while the Marines are expecting to somehow be allowed in to fight on islands, mostly along the first island chain, but theoretically elsewhere in the Pacific, uh, that the Chinese, through political warfare, have established themselves in literally every Pacific island, even the ones that have formal agreements with the Americans, uh, you know, the Marshall Islands, Micronesia, and Palau, and the Chinese are everywhere. So while we're sort of lined up in the, along the first island chain and, and don't really know where we're going to be, uh, the Chinese have set up in our rear. And I kind of remember from Command and Staff College that you're not supposed to. Uh, let the enemy like get in your rear if you can help it. 
That's a bad, and, historically, that's not a good thing. Yeah, you know, just sort of instinctively, I kind of think that. But the, um, and that's now, again, what, just so everybody knows, Grant's now kind of going to give a little bit of a tutorial on using political and economic power as an influence. I did not do the first part of this to segue into this, just so everybody knows. This is not set up, so continue, Grant. Okay. Well, you, you know, because the, and the idea is, of course, the, the Americans think, well, they, you know, everyone loves us in the Pacific. You know, everyone likes the Yankees. And, but what has happened over the last 30 years is the Chinese have patiently and systematically insinuated themselves into every country in the Pacific, uh, the rest of Asia too, but let's just talk about the Pacific. And it starts with commercial presence. You get uh, Chinese businessmen, Chinese laborers coming in. Uh, and they take over the commerce in these islands or have a huge influence. And that translates into political power. You buy off leaders, um, uh, you know, above board, below board, and, you know, send their children to college in China. Um, make, take them to China for visits and they get a nice envelope full of cash. Uh, and so you suddenly got in these places, you have a part of the society that has become pro-China. And that makes them, by definition, less pro-American. And so if the Americans want to maintain their influence and potentially have a military presence, uh, this has been undercut. So the Chinese have been eroding the basis of the American defense position in the Pacific for the last 30 years via political warfare. Uh, they haven't brought in the PLA or their military yet, but they've tried, they're gonna, it's coming. And you will have, before too long, you will have the, the Chinese military setting up uh, in these islands in our, re in our rear. Uh, one that's got the news recently is Kiribati, uh, which is, used to be known as, well, it's Tarawa. Uh, and the name is familiar to a lot yeah, of Yeah, that's like a dagger, literally, it, right to the heart. And if a couple of years ago, they it's its not that far from Hawaii, but a couple of years ago, Tarawa switched its alliance from, or recognition from uh, Taiwan to the PRC. And the Chinese are in the work, there's talk of them refurbishing an old World War II era airbase uh, in Kiribati. Uh, and that you could, there's a number of other places where this is just about to happen. Uh, or in the near future, or potentially could. And that's how the Chinese have played it. Well, we have, what have we done? Uh, not much. Uh, so th this is not entirely the Marine Corps' fault, but the, but the article, but the interview sort of translate, transfers into, say, the U.S. government Indo-PACOM's failings uh, in, in sort of defending our interests there and allowing the Chinese to get uh, to get a foothold in. And I even point out that you know, it's not just, you know, the Central Pacific, but rather it's um, Latin America as well. You know, Chile just the other day elected a pro-Chinese pro communist uh, leftist as president. And that's not a good thing. And so you've kind of got both edges of the, both sides of the Pacific where China's got inroads and then the middle of it, they've got them. And then you have the so-called COFA states, these, you know, the, once again, the Micronesian states that, you know, have um, signed a contract contracts or agreements with us that say that Americans, only Americans can use, or America has control over sort of airspace, maritime territory, 
and only American forces can use these unless America agrees. So America has control of the defenses of these places by agreement. Uh, but in, in, in return, America provides um, financial assistance to these places, but it also provides the ability to, um, you know, to, for these people to live and work in the United States and that sort of thing. Um, but here's the thing, you know, these agreements, you know, parts of the, the economic parts, the financial parts have come up for renewal recently. And instead of the Americans saying, what's it going to cost us? We'll pay it. They are, we are treating these countries like they're North Korea. Uh, and, you know, really trying to strike a hard bargain with them uh, so we don't have to pay them very much. And the amounts of money we're talking about here are minuscule. Right. And in terms of what it would take to, say, get back into these places, it's, it's nothing at all. And here we are. We're treating these people like enemies. It's amazing that they still like us. Uh, but their patience is not unlimited. And what the Americans will say is, well, we have an agreement, a contract. Well, what happens if one of these countries says, look, you, you haven't treated us well, the deal's over. Are we going to send in the Marines to occupy them? Uh, and every one of these, the leaders of these countries, I'll bet you, in fact, I would bet you a lot, uh, the Chinese have offered them a blank check. It's just amazing they haven't taken it yet. So this is, a, is an example of how U.S. government writ large has got to get its act together uh, in the Pacific on the political warfare front. And once it goes back to the Marines once again, you know, we have, we're not the whole, whole thing, but we're part of the problem. And if the Commandant's scheme calls for dispersing little groups of Marines here and there with anti-ship missiles, somebody should have given some thought where to put them. Uh, and... You know, I, in the last 10 years, I, I know of at least four countries that have begged the Americans to come in and set up militarily. Two of these that was offered on a platter for the Marine Corps. The Marines had no interest in it. Uh, and we, this is, what, what do you say? The other two places would have been perfectly suited for the Marines uh, as well. But, you know, I think it was Indo-PACOM that dropped the ball on those. Uh, so... There, there's something that, that isn't right about uh, what we're doing, or there's a lack of clear thinking, uh, to my way of thinking. So, All right. so let me ask you. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through the interview, and I'm gonna ask you uh, the questions that, that that appear in the interview. And so uh, you don't have to give such an expansive answer as you did in the interview, but but give us kind of a thumbnail. Uh, first island chain. How does Latin America fit into? Well, if you look at the the whole the whole map, you know, if you that you, I mean, the whole map of the Pacific, you see that it all ties together, and it's not just a question of lining up on the first island chain or even just behind it, uh, and waiting for the Chinese military to attack you from the west, and then you, you know, slaughter them with your anti-ship missiles and smart sea mines, etc. But before the fighting even starts, you know, what if the other side gets set up uh, behind you and on the other side of the, the Pacific Ocean? And then if suppose they're patient and then they just play this out quietly. They don't they don't uh, give you a reason to to shoot and they just gradually uh, build up their influence locally and then get their military in a few places and start operating there, then suddenly you find yourself 
sort of looking to the west, waiting for the, the Chinese to attack, and they're already behind you and have um, uh, sort of just got you, and you're unable to move at any reasonable uh, cost. And plus, these countries have, say, turned sort of pro-China and say, America, we don't even want you to come in um, or just stay, stay out. We don't want, you know, we don't want you here. And that's the how Latin America ties in, is you have to look at the whole map. And Go the ahead. Chinese have also, have also got Africa. So the Atlantic Ocean, we're going to have to have the same problem. Uh, and they've Argentina as well, and Brazil's in, drifting towards the, the PRC. Uh, so here we are, we're all set for this sort of, uh, this fight in the Western Pacific based on these small units. Uh, that are waiting, once again, waiting for the Chinese to come in from the Chinese mainland. And, you know, if they play it right, they're actually all over the place while we're manning the ramparts looking in one direction. Uh, so this isn't a problem just for the Marines. This is an entire sort of U.S. military, U.S. government problem that we've got. Got it. Next question. Are you particularly concerned about any specific part of the region? Um, Central Pacific, uh, in particular, and these these COFA states that I mentioned. COFA stands for uh, what is it? Um, Compact of Free Association, which these countries, they're independent nations, signed with the United States, and these are unique. Uh, that you know, these are the places that one, if you're setting up a defense for the Pacific, you really want them. And there's a reason why the Japanese took these places in World War II. Uh, because they're strategically important. And you think of the cost, once again, of what it took the Marines and the Navy and even the Army uh, to take these back. And that's where I'm uh, particularly concerned, because these are our friends, they're our allies, and we're not treating them uh, really with any respect at all. You know, some of the government uh, officials that I've talked to about this, U.S. government officials, they remind you of third-rate colonial officers in the British Empire, uh, you know, some of the things they say, are, you know, are, are, are not very nice um, about the locals, plus just their lack of imagination as to what to do. So I'm kind of concerned about that. And if one it's think of the just just the political headache. If one of these countries says, look, we've you know, if, if this is what you think of us, we're going to you know, terminate the deal. And if you don't think it's legally terminatable, then, well, come in and see what happens. Uh, so that's where I'm particularly concerned. And then the South Pacific, uh, Southwest Pacific, um, Solomon Islands, uh, New Guinea, that too is, is equally concerning. But Latin America, um, my goodness, if you study what is the Chinese have pulled off there in the last 15, 20 years, uh, and look at what they have now got, and, and go up to Central America and the Caribbean, and you know, you're almost inclined to bet on the other guy. So that's, uh, that's a, a big, a lot of places worry me. But I'd take the Central Pacific for starters, because that's an easy one uh, that, to keep on side. The North Koreans, evidently, um, their last test, I think, is believed to have been um, with some for, form of hypersonic technology. Did you see that? Yes, I did. The good news keeps piling up. 
Uh, it's it's uh, yeah, that's a big deal. Uh, it's you know beyond the fact it's a hypersonic missile, which is you know goes really fast, and uh, and they appear to have shot something that is maneuverable. So the the warhead comes down, and like you know it's like a, a duck kind of um, you know you're lined up on the duck, assuming you've assuming you've been able to track him because he's going five times the speed of sound, maybe faster. Uh, that he suddenly moves, you know, he's diverted, jumping all around. That gets really tough. But the thing is, the North Koreans could not have developed this without Chinese assistance. And Chinese assistance to the North Koreans has been ongoing for years. Uh, and that the, yet the Chinese have suffered no really punishment from us uh, for doing this. But there's something even worse here. Um, one uh, it's a guy who's really worth listening to is a fellow named Rick Fisher and as uh, a defense analyst and really knows this, the subjects. And he says that the North Korean missile is probably the equivalent of the, the Chinese, I think, DF-21 or so, the carrier killer. It's this ballistic missile that can track a moving ship and hit it. So the North Koreans have now got and something that actually can sink our ships, you know, can whereas we used to sort of think, well, they're kind of like the Flintstones, you know, with nuclear weapons. They're you know kind of primitive, uh, but you know you underestimate even the North Koreans at your own peril. And he says, and Rick says that this is what the the missile is is actually something aiming uh, that can hit moving ships. And you can think of the say the difficulties that will provide that causes us. Uh, in trying to um, sort of hold our own around the, and keep a lid on the Korean Peninsula, uh, the Chinese I think have or don't mind it at all because it, instead of us being able to focus on, say Taiwan, we have to take the North Koreans far more seriously. Um, you know, so you know that's uh, added to the bad news. Um, but once again, they, you know, the Chinese are the ones who did, you know. Uh, enabled the North Koreans to get where they are. And they haven't, you know, even the Trump administration never really went after the Chinese you know, for this. Talk to us about um, the Philippines buying a, I want to say, 32 new Black Hawk helicopters. Um, the Philippines has, has been um, uh, walking this tightrope uh, between especially during Mr. Duterte's um, reign there um, uh, between the United States and China. Um, is this anything more than a, uh, a, a, a defense purpose, a defense purchase? Should, nothing more should be read into it. Um, get out your secret decoder ring and explain that to us. Okay, well, I think it's a good thing. Um, you remember that it, like a couple of years ago, you know, some people were saying the Philippines is lost. You know, it's irretrievably gone over to the Chinese right. side, um, but it, it hasn't. And, you know, there's still a sort of a lot of people and in the Philippines and a lot of people of importance who do value the U.S. relationship. So that that's, is part of the significance of them buying the, uh, the Blackhawks. Um, and also the Americans are doing a lot of other things quietly with uh, the Philippines. Um, but the more interesting thing to me was recently it was agreed by the Filipinos and the, the Indians that right. the Filipinos are going to buy these BrahMos anti-ship missiles. And this is a big deal. 
that I think the Brahmos is actually based on a Russian design. Uh, so, you know, when the, the Russians selling something to the Indians or to that the Indians sell to the Filipinos that potentially you use against the Chinese, you can see Beijing maybe wondering, unless there's like a kill switch in the, the missiles that make their way to the Philippines. You never know. Uh, or some somehow the fix is in. Uh, but the Brahmos is a very good anti-ship missile, and a, I think it goes like two or three times the speed of sound, uh, which, whereas ours, I don't think, are nearly that fast. I think ours are subsonic. Uh, but and the, you, the faster you go, the obviously, the better it is. But the Filipinos have these, and they're going to be operated actually by the Philippine Marine Corps, a sort of a mobile missile uh, force. And it's those are really good, you know, to use them in the Filipino, uh, Philippine geography, use them right. And it gives you the ability to uh, inflict some cost on the, the Chinese. Uh, and what's particularly interesting is, once again, is that it, this sign that the, the Philippines, you know, will uh, defend themselves if necessary, because uh, they now got something that is a pretty high end weapon. Uh, that can be used against, you know, the, the Chinese that have been encroaching into Philippine maritime territory, taking it. Um, obviously, to shoot one of these things will be a really big deal if they ever do. But the fact they've they've purchased these uh, is that's to me was um, that was noteworthy. So I was uh, kind of glad to see it and good to see the Indians doing more in this region. Well, again, you you educated us to you know the most dangerous you know course of action to the chinese is some type of concerted uh effort on the part of the free nations of the world to maintain the rules-based order and uh so i again you know we're seeing it happen and again the philippines uh, i think very interesting to watch because of the uh economic pressure that china puts on them uh because of mr duterte who you've told us is um, has been in China's pocket for a long time, um, and to see that that drama kind of play out, and yet there's a, the, I, I, you know, again there's a huge pro-American uh, contingent in 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 the nation. I mean, America had a had a long, long, long presence there. American businesses have have had a long presence there, and those simply don't go away without. Uh, and the, and then the way that the Chinese have treated the Filipinos, uh, I think you you maybe a month or so ago, you maybe longer, you said, you know, the Chinese have promised a lot and never really delivered. So I think watching the the Philippines and the Filipino government um, kind of do the Texas two-step with with all of this is very interesting. So, mm -hmm. so I appreciate the education. What are you writing next? The, uh, my 2020 prediction. The one oh, I said, that's I right. Gonna, when are you going to do that? I've successfully put it off for like eight days now. So, I, <laughs> you, know, the, you know, I've got, I'm sure, another eight days. I can easily think of something else to do. Um, I'd like to do it soon. Um, that would be, um, yeah, my idea is to get it done soon. You know, I, th I thought of writing something. Uh, a quick about the <clears throat> the Tongan volcano. Yeah, how about and, that? And, and suggesting <clears throat> that the the Mew, wherever they, it is, wherever they are, get down there really fast. Um, but I I don't usually chase the headlines uh, like that. But it, one does hope that um, we've already sent things to get on the way down there. 
not just because we help, but to help. But uh, it, your friends, these people will notice, and their Tonga is very much in play. And the Chinese, I think, have the have uh, the upper hand on us there. And if we could get down there and show them that we're going to take care of them, that's something that would be remembered for a long time. Um, you know, so hopefully, wherever those decisions are made, that somebody's, um, as I say, has already started. Uh, to head down that way. Do I think they are? I kind of doubt it. But that's maybe I'm just uh, still early, still pessimistic. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, well, I, do you think you will be able to knock your predictions out in the next week or so? I mean, can we talk about them next week? Uh, can I get tickets? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I told you. Tell me where you want to sit. They'll be waiting for you. If you yeah. want to go, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to Green Bay? Do you want to go down to Tampa to watch Tom Brady? Maybe hang out with Gasell. I'll get you tickets to their box. What do you want to do? Oh, man. Yeah, how about that? Huh. I, have, huh. I have some poll. Come on. Okay, well, let me think about it. All right. but, uh, you no, think, you I, think about I, it. I'll no, incentivize I, your prediction. I, I can be bought, but if, if uh, people knew how low the price was, it's usually. But tickets would that's much too much. Like a like a mug cup that has like a like the San Diego Chargers logo on it. That's yeah. it. Okay. Wow. Okay. You want the uh, sub plans, huh? <laughs> that's. Yeah, <you> know, I, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but that, that's a funny thing because we always used to think that um, you know that the the Chinese must have it really easy in Asia because all you have to do. Is like you say to the uh, the American, the Westerner, you say, oh, you use chopsticks very well. And that's all it takes. And <laughs> that, that I'm telling you that the average white guy in, in, the, in Asia, he'll hand over anything. Um, or, or in Japan, if you call them san, if you say like, oh, <laughs> Maxan, you know, you use chopsticks very well. That uh, that's all it takes because the the Americans always think that San is actually like that it's this thing of really high esteem, um, but in my case it's just a San Diego Chargers uh, <laughs> mug that'll do. But no, I'm joking, of course. But uh, uh, but no, I hope to get the the predictions out like in the next few days because uh, you know, it, it takes me. How a many while pr how many predictions will you make? Oh, three. Three predictions. Three predictions. No, I, you know, that's... Um, that's it? That's not too many predictions. Well, you know, it isn't like a Johnny Carson thing where you've got... Carnac says, you know, yeah, and, all the, know, and Ed holding all the envelopes. Yeah, you know how you want those to keep going and going, but the, uh, you did. Um, but no, it, I don't know how many, but I'll, it'll come once I start writing. But the big one, of course, is um, are the Chinese going to attack Taiwan? And I think I figured it out. Oh, but, uh, there's a little yeah. teaser for everybody. That's yeah. how you do it. That's called a I teaser. Think, you know, I could be completely wrong, but I think right. I figured it out. Well, we're sitting on pins and needles waiting. Okay. I'm not even going to ask you because I don't want to spoil the anticipation. Mm -hmm. That's always the okay. best. Okay. All right. Well, Grant, first of all, thank you. Uh, you know, again, I, I'm, 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 I'm genuinely concerned as somebody – and again, I'm 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 nobody's PhD, but I've I've read since I was since I joined the Marine Corps in the early '80s. Uh, I've read enough about the instruments of national power, and and, and you don't have to be um, Henry Kissinger to look at you know our array of of the tools, our national power tools, right, that we have in our belt. 
And and tool number one is not the American military, it's the American economy. And so when you begin to to, to lay these things down, you see this this incredible opportunity and, and this really important thing that we should be doing because the American military is not in a position right now that we would like it to be. And so um, I appreciate you uh, humoring us and answering, uh, at least attempting to answer that. Um, and uh, thank you very much for doing this. Oh, always enjoy it. So, so. All right. so I'll, I'll figure out what tickets I want, but it's <laughs> gonna. I'll, I'll tell you next time. All right. All you got to do is yell. <laughs> All right, Grant. Thank you. Right. Okay. Thanks a lot. You bet. That'll do it on a Monday. Grant Newsham joined us today. And again, I, uh, for those of you, I mean, who've gone to schools in the military uh, and have studied the tools of national power, when you do an assessment, it, it would seem to me that that there's an imperative there. But obviously there's not. So I don't know. Maybe smarter people have said, yeah, that's not really important. You know. Same people that fucked up Afghanistan. Might be the same people that fucked up Iraq, too. That would be a shocker. Now they're fucking up the Pacific. Kind of a trend, if you haven't noticed. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio. If I can help you help somebody else, do not hesitate. On that note... I will see you on Wednesday when Mark Kansian uh, joins us. Mark's written about, had something published in Forbes magazine about extremism. And kind of goes through the data that the DOD released in late December. So, you'll hear Mark on Wednesday. Thank you for listening. And again, if I can help you help somebody else. All the contact information on the All Marine Radio and the post-traumatic winning websites comes to me. So please don't be afraid to reach out. On that note, I'm out. See you. Have a great day.